And I think we're not supposed to know. Because if we, we, we came here on Earth to achieve a purpose, it may not be a grand purpose, maybe a little purpose, maybe a purpose that has to do with somebody other than us, or maybe a series of purposes, maybe a grand purpose, but we come here to achieve a purpose. And if we get, if we really know everything about the other side and what things are about, we will be very distracted from probably achieving our purpose. So I think that we're not supposed to know it. You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. just happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? So what are you telling me? And I'm like, I don't know. And he said, are you telling me someone was in the basement watching me? And I was like, Dad, I, I honestly don't know what I'm telling you. I don't, I mean... Now, now I understand. Now, you know, after years of, of research, I understand that, yes, the spirits were right there. And probably it was my dear uncle, my father, and my uncle so close, or maybe my grandparents on my father's side that were going to try and break through in that reading if I had just opened myself up to that Lionel train reading. But I had shut it down because it made no, absolutely no sense to me. But that was an amazing, another amazing piece of information because here the other side specifically had me experience that so that I would understand that sometimes the messages aren't for me. They're not, they're not for the person it's being delivered to in all walks of life. Just like that book to the security guard, I was getting pulled. That message was not for me. I was the conduit. And it was the same in this situation. 
I was the conduit to basically help my father understand that, yes, there's something more than we see here and feel here. So yeah, the next trajectory was a lot of those kinds of experiences with little golden nuggets. Like for other people or sometimes just showing they're around? Yeah, showing they're around. And maybe there was a reading if I had delved into it a little bit more. I think there was a reading. What I ended up doing after that is taking my father and mother to a Robert Hansen group of 50 because I wanted them to see him in action. And my uncle, who's my father's dear brother, who, had, who was deceased, came through in flying colors for my, for my father at that reading. So I think I wonder if I had gone down that Lionel Train Road or whatever, maybe my uncle was trying to come through and say hello to my father. But the bottom line is it opened my father up to, wow, something, is, something else is going on here. I can't believe that you're, you're saying this to me. The same way I couldn't believe the security guard said her mother just died. <laughs> you know, I was just like, I can't believe that I'm saying this to you either, Dad. I really can't, you know. Yeah. And then people will be like, well, you know, as your dad said, what's going on? I mean, we don't really know. I mean, we can make assessments by putting together everything that happened, like big pieces of the puzzle. But I think there's a part of it. We just, in our three-dimensional earth material experience, just can't understand. Just like we can't really wrap our minds around the concept of infinity, for example. And I think we're not supposed to know. Because if we, we, we came here on earth to achieve a purpose, it may not be a grand purpose, maybe a little purpose, maybe a purpose that has to do with somebody other than us, or maybe a series of purposes, maybe a grand purpose, but we come here to achieve a purpose. And if we get, if we really know everything about the other side and what things are about, we will be very distracted from probably achieving our purpose. So I think that we're not supposed to know it. And in terms of infinity, um, and you had mentioned it before with Einstein's and time travel. I just want to bring up this concept because I also have it in my book, and I think it's another, it was another eye-opening experience for me. When there's a lot of discussion about how the other side, time doesn't matter. Time is different than it is here. Time is a man-made thing. And I actually think that there's a very good example or explanation of how people can understand that. And it actually has to do with Einstein's theory of relativity, um, which is basically that we can only relate to what we can relate to, which gets back to why we only know what we know here. We can only relate to what we can relate to. We can't relate to what we can't relate to, like the other side. But having said that, this, this I think, is a way to understand infinity or understand that time has no or less meaning on the other side. When you are... A year is always a year. 365 days is always a year. It's always 365 days, the same number of days, same number of hours, same number of months. It's a year. When you are 10 years old, one year is 10% of your life. So you, it, it means a lot because it's 10% of your life. And you can only relate to the other nine years. You can't relate to your future. You can only relate to the other nine years. It's 10% of your life. When you turn 50, a year is still a year but now it's 2% of your life. So it seems like a year is of less importance. It's of less dimension because you now can relate to 49 other years, even though a year is always a year. So here you have, in our own lifetime, 
you have the ability to understand how time has a varying meaning within our lifetime. So when people say, Jesus, I get older, I feel like time's going faster. Things, times are, you know, a year is, is passing quicker, more quickly. It is. <laughs> That's absolutely true. Because a year, although a year is only a year, because of Einstein's theory of relativity, you can only relate to what you can relate to. And so a year at 50 is of less dimension and less value than a year at 10 years old. And a year at 90 is even less. Now you go into the other side and there are thousands of years. So it's not that there's no time, it's just that time is so infinitesimal, it's so, in, it's so teeny that it's meaningless. Because now a time, a span of time, a year, which is still a year, is one of thousands to you. And you can relate to so much more because you're now your soul. You're not in the human mind of things. You're now, it's your soul. And so a portion of time, I'll say, you know, I know it's a man-made concept, but a portion of time is almost meaningless because your soul has many more measurements of time than you have while you're on Earth. And if you need to grab it conceptually, just relate it back to Earth. One year at 10 years old is very different than one year at 50, one, one year at 90. It's the same concept, but just taken to the soul level. And that makes so much sense, because after you pass, the theory, and more than the theory, the evidence shows you know, that we live multiple lives. And when you cross over, you suddenly are able to access all of those. And so your loved one, let's say your parents, and you passed when your kid was like 40 or 50, and they have another 40, 50 years left here. Let's say they're fortunate and get to grow elderly. And you look and you're like, yeah, 50 years. Like to us, that's, I mean, for many of us, that's a lifetime. Right. I mean, some of us, it's half a life. And that's some of us, it's more than our lifetime. You know, I mean, it varies. So you... 50 years is like, yeah, that's probably like after you pass, 50 years is nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I even remember 10 years old, not only was a year, I mean, a year was eternity, just eternity, but even a month felt so long. Right. And I look back at memories that feel like they went on forever, and I'm like, that was two weeks. What? That felt like so long in my life, and that is a long time in your life at 10. Even two weeks is a long time, and so... I, yeah, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Because that's, it's basically the theory of relativity. You can, I mean, we can only relate to what we can relate to. And whether it's time or whether it's uh, life on Earth versus not having life on Earth versus the afterlife, you can only relate to what you can relate to. It's Einstein's theory of relativity. The other um, way I explain this to people, and again, that's one of the things that I think I've been able to accomplish through, not only with the book, but even in my work life, I'm sometimes able to take very elusive topics and make them very practical for people. So another example that I give about that kind of sort of relativity concept and, and even how the souls look at us and how we look at Earth when we're on the other side is I say, let's everybody can envision in this life 
a, a five-year-old who's a four-year-old begging for a candy bar. You know, I want a candy bar. I want a candy bar for breakfast. I want a candy bar for breakfast. And maybe you as a parent are saying, you know, no, I'm not going to give you a candy bar for breakfast. And the kid like melts down, has a huge temper tantrum and about whatever, a toy, a candy bar, whatever. But everybody can envision a kid melting down on something that you as an adult would think is meaningless. And you, th and you think to yourself, this is ridiculous. I'll give this kid a candy bar after lunch. He's going to have 500 candy bars his whole life. He's going to get old. He's going to get a job. He's going to give back to the you know, com community. He's going to fall in and out of love. He's going to have deaths. He's going to have births. And it's like this candy bar means nothing. It means nothing. Yet you empathize because the kid is screaming and crying on the ground and feels absolutely horrible. And that's how the other side looks at us. When we're devastated over a loss, you know, things that really are significant to, in, you know, adults with perspective, a loss of a loved one. I mean, that's the most devastating, an illness, loss of physical abilities, like people who've gotten chronic illness. I mean, those are devastating things, loss of a, you know, a divorce. And to them, yeah, they about. To them, that's our candy bar. Because on the other side, there's so much more, you know, there's just so much more, more. Uh, it's not because it's not really about here. It's about doing what we have to do here so that when we get back to the other side, it's like, high five, you did what you had to do. You accomplished your purpose. That's what we're here for. So that's also like that relativity and perception that basically a, a candy bar to a five-year-old is not a candy bar to an adult. And a loss of even a loved one to an adult is not the same thing as it is to a soul. Because a soul knows you're going to be back here soon enough. Because time is very different. And, you know, I mean, I think I've often been like, why isn't this clearer to us? But in another sense, if we completely understood this, life would be so meaningless. You know, I mean, look at... I mean, at being six years old or five years old, it's nice to have some perspective, but I wouldn't want to have the perspective I have now. You wouldn't enjoy anything about being five. You couldn't make friends. You couldn't enjoy a play date. You couldn't enjoy a toy. Everything, you'd be like, eh, who cares? Like, it would be a very empty life, if you think of it that way. You just wouldn't experience anything. I mean, I wouldn't care about work. I'd be like, why do I even get out of bed? This is so boring and meaningless. And I mean, it'd be an actually horrible life to have that level of perspective. Such a great, that's a, such a great thought, Liz. You're absolutely right. And that, right. And that's why, you know, we are intentionally born, born with these kinds of, you know, blinders on, <laughs> you know, that only allow us to grow perception as we grow. But you're absolutely right. What a great point. Yeah, I'd never quite thought of it that way. I had thought some about the blinders of past life memories. You know, I mean, it seems like a lot more people I've talked to have had little flashes that maybe could be a past life. I mean, I know I had a weird thing I well, can share in a second, but the kids have the really strong memories they're so unhappy. They're so in grief. That's the thing too. That's why it's like, yeah, not supposed to be maybe something that you cope with because these aren't kids that just have little flashes of memories. The ones that are studied and written about, you know, they died as a lot of, some of them as children and they miss 
their other parents imagine you know i mean they were eight years old and let's say they died in a tragedy and they have these new parents who maybe they love and they're wonderful parents but you know i mean if i was some horrible tragedy had happened i'd lost my parents as a little kid and was adopted by other loving parents i would still miss my parents and they seem to have that level or some grew up to be adults and suddenly you know, died elderly and they miss their children and they miss their spouse and they're having to live as a child. I mean, however fascinating scientifically now, I'm like, I wish I had that level of memories. I mean, how sad I would miss, you know, I mean, there you are suddenly and you don't have all these people that you just love more than anything, your family and you're in a new family. I mean, it's just, right. There's a reason, you know, it's my guess is kids that have that level of memory is it's a glitch, you know, it's not, quote unquote, supposed to be that way. Or there, or it is supposed to be that way just for other people. Like, in other words, people come here sometimes and their purpose is not for themselves. So sometimes they come here almost to sacrifice their own happiness or for someone else's knowledge and purpose. So that, it's people like that, who like that young boy that remembers himself as a fighter pilot. I think, yeah. James Leininger. Yeah. If anyone wants to read about it, Jim Tucker writes beautifully about it. You, I mean, unbelievable, but he may be here to, I mean, it's such an unbelievable evidential story that he's here to open people's eyes, even though his childhood may have been longing for his past life. He may have not have had the oblivious, uh, happy childhood that other people had he's look at all the people he's touched it's true and he reaches a scientific mind more than anyone spiritual could inspired by david justice who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma jet joyful experience team was founded by his son oliver justice and his best friends river attard Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. Jet seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. Jet will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash jet for a complete list of programs and activities. So sometimes their purpose is not for, people's purpose is not for just for themselves. It's to help, in his case, to help humankind. And there's a lot of people, I think, on earth like that. I mean, I think of a lot of, you know, superstars and things like that. Not all of them, of course, but many of them have very tough lives, yet they bring such a huge amount of comfort or art to, well, like Vincent van Gogh, he's a perfect example. I mean, they brought beautiful art, unbelievable, to the world, yet his life was miserable for him. So his purpose was you know, in something greater than his own happiness, something different, I'll say, than his own happiness. Right. And he brings joy to people years later. It's not even, I mean, there's some people that 
bring that joy just during their lifetime then you know they fade out then there's nothing insignificant about that but they fade out and then yeah someone like vincent van gogh i mean years and years and lifetimes later still bringing beauty to the world right yeah i know i mentioned quickly something i wonder is a past life memory which i'll share and i'm curious if you've had anything like this but i just remember when i was very little my parents had this floral heating pad it was like a blue floral heating pad and I would freak out every time I saw it. And I didn't quite have the like linear vocabulary to put it into these words, but it reminded me of dying in a hospital. I'd never been in a hospital aside from when I was born. And then I had a few health problems. So I was there, you know, I had to be in like an incubator there for like a few days. But, you know, I mean, I was, wouldn't have had concrete memories. I wouldn't have understood. But it was like this visceral panic when I saw it. And I associated it with like hospital gowns, sort of very, it was visceral and visual because I was under five. And I would scream when my parents took it out, I'd have to leave the room. And then I got a little older. And I was like, that's so weird. Why was I scared of that thing? Little kids are so funny. And when I started reading this stuff years later, I was like, I wonder like, what a weird association and it did look very medical like I could see making that association now after having like hospital trauma of watching my dad you know but yeah like four years old how would I have made an association of it as like it sort of just felt like hospital gown look and like dying and death and trauma and uh, just so weird I don't know if you have anything like that I haven't I haven't I like I said I, that uh, I'm not that traditional psychic kind of thing I don't I don't have any like flashbacks or I think I've actually been on guided meditations to do uh, past life transgressions is that what it's called where you have to you know regressions with like a you go to a regression therapist yeah I did that yeah yeah and I have not then I can't get anything really that comes of it and it's not like I can't meditate like people say when you meditate you have to get yourself to, to zero thoughts I can actually get myself to zero thoughts really easily, like really easily. Really? Oh, I can't at all. It's not, it's not like my mind is racing and no, 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 I can get myself to zero. And I can think of very peaceful thoughts of the beach or the forest, or, but I just don't, things don't pop in there, you know? So I don't know. It's, I guess they're very blocked by my left analytical brain or something. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we probably all come here with different skills and different reasons. And even knowing that about you, it makes me, and especially if I didn't know you and I heard this and then I thought, okay, but you believe all this. I mean, it gives it a credibility when, you know, your mind works that way and not prone to maybe what some people stereotype, prone to fantasy, prone to wishful thinking, like you don't have that. And that gives, I think, when people of that mindset, this definitely gives it more credibility. One thing I actually want to ask you, because along with Afterlife Evidence, your book also seems to talk about, it's not just grief-based, but like finding yourself and finding what you're supposed to do and how this type of research helps open, or this type of, not just research, but I don't want to say philosophy, this evidence, I guess, opens up people to try to find what they're really meant to do. First of all, quick question, do you feel your life has changed profoundly or in any ways since studying all this or learning this? And if so, how? Absolutely. I will say that prior to understanding this, I was definitely more, uh, I'm still very type A, but very much more high strung 
and very focused on my own life and my, not my own life, but like my family's life and my friends. I was very insular in my attention. But after understanding this and understanding there's so much more to life, it's, it's become a lot more easy for me to let things roll, to be like, you know something, this is not going my way today, but there's probably some reason <laughs> that it's not going my way. So whereas, just as an example, whereas prior to this, if I had gotten a flat tire, as an example, I would have been like, shoot, I'm going to be late. I'm gonna, I really would have been upset. Now I feel like, all right, there's some reason that this has happened. I bet you I'm getting a flat now because it's going to save me from being in an accident in a couple of minutes, or maybe the guy who's going to fix the flat need, needs a break in his day and needs me to smile at him, or, you know, so whatever. So I just, just ha having that total perspective change changes everyday occurrences from being sometimes what would have been very stressful to less stressful. So that, I would say, is the biggest change. And I guess another question, you've always been logical, you know, you didn't discover this in like your teens, you were established in your life. How comfortable did you feel like, quote unquote, coming out to people about this? And how have people been reacting? Because I know that's something I still have an anxiety about. Like I go on dates and I'm like, well, I kind of write on the side. Like I bring up my other startups first. They're like, what do you write about? I'm like, um neuroscience and singularity and how brains interact <laughs> I mean I'm not like I write about the afterlife that's so. so funny um you're absolutely right when I first started learning this I was at that point uh CEO and CFO of a very large uh local medical practice and I was way too afraid to bring it out, you know, to just talk about it. But there were just occasions where I could see particular people really struggling, individuals struggling with something, the loss of their father or whatever. And, and I was at the point where I would weigh it in my mind and say, all right, I'm going to take the risk. I have to bring this up because I knew I had some information that would help them. So it was very carefully you know, I brought it up very carefully when I did. But when I came up with the book, I almost felt like I didn't have a choice. It was very, very mission-based. I felt like this, over the course of these years, I've helped so many people with individual pieces of my knowledge that I have to bring it together. But I will also say that one of the people who claims that I helped her when her father died with some of the words of wisdom I had was my direct boss, who is an extremely high level in this healthcare organization that I'm part of now, uh, Northwell Health. So since she was, I'll say, you know, open to this to some extent, it helped me, it helped me be comfortable putting it together at this time in my life. So when I put it all together, and I was just about to launch it, I again, sort of got up the bravery to, to let her and other coworkers know, hey, just so you know, I'm putting a book out, you know, just to see, you know, what the reaction was. And m most people, especially, I mean, healthcare, healthcare is a very caring kind of industry. Most people have been really receptive to it. So I've been very, very blessed and fortunate that way. I've actually noticed the same thing. Like I've been really nervous to quote unquote come out 
and definitely I'm careful about the intro and how I first do it and ease in a little and come from a logical tone but everyone oh I still get terrified and as I said I still like don't lead with it on dates but I notice that people get fascinated I mean when I go to entrepreneur groups I always start with now I have a zero waste startup I'm launching I mean I've done startups since very shortly after graduating college but I was like had normal startups like in fashion but I notice I lead with my quote-unquote normal startup and then I get into what the fuck and my book and this because I've made myself a promise I am going to mention it every business thing I go to 90% of the time people are like whoa wait back up what is this stuff and they all just want to talk about it and more than any business I've ever worked on, more than businesses other people are talking about. And these are smart, logical people, and they're always just want, have so many questions, and usually like one or two people, people that initially I'm really intimidated about because I'm like, oh, God, that person seems really successful. Now I have to come out with this weird shit and keep my promise to myself. And they will come up to me after, and they're like, hey, can I ask you, you know, I recently had this loss, and what do you think of this? And it's just, it's, the response has opened up I guess almost like a level of, I don't want to say level exactly intimacy with people, like instant intimacy, but maybe that is it, like an openness, a curiosity, people coming to you with things that they probably don't initially tell someone they just met. And it's really, it's just been the most wonderful reception, even if it's still to this day, really scary for me. That's true. When I was in that three or four years, understanding the afterlife. I was talking to a lot of people about it. I mean, just hundreds, everybody. And when you bring it up to them, like, like you said, 90% have stories of their own. They've, and some of them, like I, one coworker of mine who's a consultant and I bring it up to him and he said that he and his wife actually saw a vision of his father both at the same time. They both saw the vision. They both looked at each other and said, did you see that? Did you see that? And I was like, oh, my God. So, like, once people start talking about it, so many people have real-life stories about it, and it impacts everybody. So it makes sense that most people would be interested, you know? Yeah, and I find those that aren't interested, it's because they're – I mean, this might sound arrogant, but in a way they're scared. Like, when I think of myself before, it's like if thinking about death and getting your hopes up when you – pretty much assume there's no afterlife it's just it's too painful you know I mean everyone has something vested in it so rather than just some will be like yeah, I'm not interested but I don't I, that just that comes I think from a almost like a fear at least you know just not wanting to think about it it's too sad yeah right I think it or sometimes it, you're right I think it said it's too sad but sometimes it's also I mean sometimes it's fear but sometimes it's also it's just too sad to bring up or, and I, I think other people don't like to talk about it because they're afraid it's going to jinx them Oh, I never thought of that. Like if you talk about, if you speak, if you speak about death and the afterlife or whatever, something's going to happen to me. Like there's some reason you're bringing it up now, since there's a reason for everything. And now somebody I know is going to die, you know? So they don't, so there's like a lot of reasons that people prefer not to speak about it. And that's fine because there's plenty of people who like to speak about it. So, You know, I mean, easier said than done. But if someone's going to think you're too weird or don't want to talk to you, I mean, fuck them. I know that's so much easier said than done. And yeah, I know. <laughs> And I definitely have more emotional reactions to it than that, but it's true. It's true. Yeah, so I guess we're kind of winding in in an hour. So I'll just, first of all, ask, is there anything you want to share that you haven't shared yet? I think you've, you've really hit on all the great points and uh, no. Great. And I guess 
one I'll ask one last question, but just let me know if you haven't already touched upon it because you gave some amazing experiences. Is there anything you've experienced overall that you would say is the number one most mind-blowing thing? Unless you've already feel you've answered that. I think there are so many mind-blowing things. So I have answered um, a lot of them. But what I do like to say say to people, because I think it's it's important, is if there's one thing that people should try to one thing that I learned when I learned about this afterlife is if there's one thing that people should try to sort of take to heart and do in their life, it's to drop the feeling, I'll say, associated with the word compare. Because I think that that word compare really stops people from living the best life they can live. And it's sometimes people say, well, I don't compare myself to others, but a lot of times you're comparing yourself to yourself. So it can be comparing yourself to others or it can be comparing yourself to yourself in the past. I used to be this, I used to be that. Or comparing yourself to what you want to be. I, you know, I, I'm this, but I want to be something better, which I'll, maybe I'll be in 10 years or whatever. And, and that word compare can really hinder you from living your best life here on earth. So um, that's something I sort of like to just part with, I think. And now we're going to pause for a second for the question of the week. Okay, so this isn't exactly a question about afterlife evidence, but it's a great question. Erin asks, what's the dumbest thing I've ever heard about grief? Oh my God, how do I choose one? There's so many. I think overall, it's just anyone or anytime someone thinks they know better than you, about how to handle your grief. Even if they've had a loss, that doesn't mean they know what's right for you to do. So I'd say almost anything that starts with you need to, or you should, because how would they know what you need to do? And anything that disrespects your grieving process is really just, oh, don't, no, it's not helpful. And some of the classics that we all Unfortunately, no, they're in a better place. This was meant to be. Be grateful that, at least. And just really the best thing to do and the best people to surround yourself with in grief are those that respect your individual process and respect your own individual process. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. Sometimes Your way and your best friend's way, if you've both had grief, might be completely different. Your way of handling grief might be completely different than how you thought you would handle it. And maybe you handle it differently this week than you did the week before. So just respect your process. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at wtfjusthappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. And feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. As I'm sure you've heard, the Supreme Court in the United States just overturned Roe v. Wade, which protects a woman's right to have an abortion if she chooses. Now it's illegal in some of our states. If anyone is looking to obtain an abortion and you live in a state where it's illegal, you can check the following sites. 
I suggest using a VPN, virtual private network, which hides your identity on your computer or phone. These are the sites, womenonwaves.org, womenonweb.org, aidaccess.org, plancpills.org, wholewomanshealth.com, abortionfunds.org, and of course, Planned Parenthood. I linked all of them on our Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore, and they're saved in our stories. These are also great places to donate and see if they need any help. How can people find you and follow you and read your book? Because I also want to say, Annette, shared some mind-blowing, fascinating stories, and this is just a little bit of it. There's more in her book, as well as some real wisdoms that I feel she's acquired over the years, That, such as the candy bar analogy that definitely I've always found when I feel bitter that, why did I lose this person? This is the worst thing, because I lost my dad, I lost some animals, and I lost like my main mentor, Annette and I both, she was significant to both of us, and I have so much bitterness some days about that. I'm like, oh, I lost the person that like I felt led to for after losing my dad and like my rock, like fuck that seriously. (laughs) And so I feel like go to the candy bar analogy a lot when I start feeling bitter and it helps me. So Annette has a lot of wisdoms like that in her book and I highly recommend it. Thank you. Yeah. Tell people where they can follow you. I'll add it in the show notes too, of course. Thank you. So I have a website. It's AnnetteMarinaccio.com. And I'm also on uh, Facebook and Instagram, and my book is on with my name. And my book, Your Soul Focus, is on, sold on Amazon, it's on Audible, and it is on Barnes & Noble. Great. Thank you so much, Annette. Thank you. To get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There, you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened, A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife, and you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore, or email me at hello at WTF just happened.net. And remember, you don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened.